Good morning. We're looking at uh, common causes. There are lots of things that divide Christians. Uh, we're going to look at common causes that unite Christians. We're going to look at three different things, communion, community, and commission. Uh, we're starting off in the first section uh, to talk about communion. Communion is unity that comes when people are of one mind with respect to God. And so it really leads to ask a question, why is it so important to have the same beliefs? It's a good question. Why is it so important to have the same beliefs? And that's what we're going to try to answer. Um, it says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us <coughs> is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Or we shall see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And as we look at this passage, it answers a question. The question it answers, how does transformation take place? What causes transformation to take place? Look what it says. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. But we shall see him as he is. Would you agree with me that transformation and being able to see Jesus accurately go hand in hand? Do you agree with me? Transformation and seeing Jesus clearly, accurately, those things go hand in hand. We know that when we see him, we will be like him, we'll be transformed. Because we'll see him as he is, the clearer our perception of Jesus, the clearer our focus is on that perception is directly related to our transformation. Uh, gazing at Jesus results in being transformed. What's the cause of transformation? Gazing at Jesus and seeing him accurately. As, your, as our beliefs about Jesus are clear, and as we focus on those beliefs, it changes us. And that's what Paul seems to... And Paul, John says it, and Paul says the same thing. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. When Jesus comes a second time, those who are believers in him will instantaneously be changed. It seems to suggest that Jesus, when Jesus returns, our transformation will be effortless. He has power to subject everything to his will. And when he comes, that power is going to change us. And it's, he's not going to break a sweat. I mean, he's not going to struggle to, to transform some and others. Those who believe in him are going to be transformed because Seeing Jesus clearly is what transforms us. 
And when we see him clearly, we won't have to try to be transformed. It will happen. That's what, that's what Paul seems to suggest when our beliefs about Christ are underdeveloped. And that's the problem. You know, when we see Jesus, we're going to be like him because we'll see him clearly. The problem is this side of complete transformation, the clearer our understanding of Jesus the the more consistent our focus is on those beliefs, we're changed by that. And the challenge is that there are incomplete images of Christ and errant representations. If we see the truth about him, it changes us. If the truth of him is obscured, then we can't change because our change is related to seeing him as he is. And if our vision is not clear, it gets in the way of change. Um, Paul suggests this. Here's what he says. I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from, from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. The problem Paul ran into is that Jesus could be misrepresented, that Jesus would be talked about, but it's a Jesus other than the Jesus Paul preached. The person, the belief that Paul was fighting against was the belief in, in attitudes or teachings about Jesus where the teachings about Jesus were not accurate and clear. And that's what Paul was talking about. He said that becomes a problem. He says, if there's a Jesus other than the Jesus that we preached, and if a different spirit or a different gospel. And what Paul is going to suggest is this, that if it's the right Jesus, there will be the right gospel and the right spirit. The right Jesus, the right gospel, and the right spirit. Those things will be coincidental. When there's not the right gospel, it's not the right Jesus. If not the right spirit, not the right Jesus. But if it is the right spirit, if it is the right gospel, it's the right Jesus. And if it's the right Jesus, what's going to happen? You're going to look at him and you will be transformed. And that's the way it works. It's not all of a sudden, but progressively. That's what Paul is saying. So how can we know that our image of Jesus is accurate? It will be in line with the right gospel and the right spirit. And that's what we're going to look at just a little bit. What is the right gospel? Actually, we looked at that last week. The right gospel, the gospel is this. God revived us when we were dead, and God reconciled us when we were bad. God revived us when we were dead. Look what it says. When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, 
having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. What it says here, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Christ. Talked about it last week. Somebody said that Christianity is a crutch. I hope it's more than that because a crutch can't help a dead person. If Christianity is only a crutch, and if our problem is that we're dead in trespasses and sins, a crutch is not going to help us. We need more than a crutch. We need something that can bring a dead person to life. And that's what the gospel indicates when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. God made us alive with Christ, having canceled the written code, and so God did everything we need in order to become children of God. And that is good news. Do you agree with me? That when we were in a position to be unresponsive to God, he reached down and made it so that we could be alive to him. And our part, God does the hard work, the heavy lifting. And here's the question, what's our part? To believe it and to look at it and regard it, to keep it in our mind's eye. And so that's the gospel, that God revived us when we were dead. And also that God reconciled us when we were bad. Look what it says. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. When the real Jesus is proclaimed, the gospel will be clear. And it is that God reconciled us when we were bad. It says, once you were alienated and we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior, we talked about reconciliation. Reconciliation is changing a relationship of enmity and strife into one of peace and goodwill. So it's God taking someone who is not in a good relationship with him and moving that person into a good relationship with him. And that's what God did for us when we were bad. That's, the, that's what the good news is, that God takes upon himself to overcome the obstacles that that are in the way of us relating to him. We were dead to him. He makes us alive. We were his enemies. He, he causes us to be able to be close to him and to befriend him. Um, when the real Jesus is being proclaimed, the gospel will be clear. And as we said last week, what is our responsibility to believe it? And the challenge in believing it is not only to believe that it's true, but it's to be moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Because here's the deal. Through Christ on the cross, God reconciled you when you were bad. And he revived you when you were dead. And what he did was effective. And what that means, that he would have you believe this. This is the good news. And God would have you believe it. Now, the problem is, if I come up to you and say, well, I know that you believe in Jesus. Okay, you believe in Jesus, and that means you're close to God, but you'll be even closer 
<laughs> if you keep the Ten Commandments. You'll be even closer if you read the Bible for two hours a day. You'll be even closer if you give. Now, that's the problem. Because if I lead you to believe that there's something that you can do to be more undead and more reconciled to God, you know what I've just done? I have moved you from the hope held out in the gospel. If you can get closer, then where you are is not secure. But the truth is, there's nothing we can do to add to what God has done. He revived us when we were dead. He reconciled us when we were enemies, when we were bad. He did everything. That's what Jesus did, and that's what the gospel is. And what he would have us do is believe it and not be moved from the hope held out in the gospel. How can we know that the Jesus we believe in is accurate? That the right Jesus will be linked with the right gospel. And so if you're in a place where you hear this kind, and this is talked about, that you're reconciled when you're bad, you're revived when you're dead, that's the gospel, and that's what you'll hear if the real Jesus is being presented. And it says as well, the right Jesus will be linked with the right spirit. It talks about the, the spirit of God, and what we'll see that there's two things that we'll understand when we're, we have the right spirit in mind, um, that we are in God's family and we are under the new covenant. Uh, it says we are in God's family. It says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. This is the verse we looked at earlier, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone has this hope in him, purifies himself, just as he is pure. Uh, God embraces those who believe in him in a father's embrace. The Spirit of God kind of reinforces this, but it says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It suggests in this passage that God's Spirit is a spirit of sonship. That when it's the right Jesus, it will be the right gospel and the right spirit. And what you'll hear is that it will be focused on that you are a son or daughter of God, and God brings you into a fatherly embrace. The Spirit is a spirit of sonship. And what he says, that we who are being led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? It means that we've, we are no longer under a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. That the, the kind of spirit that if you were a slave in a family, um, you didn't have a permanent place in the family. And so if you didn't continue to behave and do what you needed to do, you could be cut off from the family. That's what happened if you were a slave. It's not a secure connection. But if you were a son or daughter in the family, 
your performance couldn't cause you not to be a son or a daughter. And that's what it describes. If it's the right Jesus and the right gospel and the right spirit, the focus will be on the fact that you are a son or daughter of God and that there's nothing you can do to jeopardize that relationship. You are not a slave and you don't need to be afraid that you'll be kind of sent out of the house, but you are a son and your position in the family then is secure. Uh, God's spirit is a spirit of sonship. Spirit of God focuses on us being parts of God's family and focuses on us being under the new covenant. What it says, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We learned something important here. We talked about it before. It says it's, it's contrasting letters written on stone, which are from Mount Sinai, and letters written by the Spirit on the hearts of people. That's associated not with the old covenant, but with the new. So again, we've talked about this a lot, but it seems to be relevant to understanding how the Spirit works. The Spirit will draw our attention to the new covenant. And as we understand the new covenant, that's what the Spirit will do. He'll draw our attention to it because this passage suggests that the Spirit is the Spirit of the New Covenant. Apparently, in order to have the right Jesus and believe in the right gospel and be influenced by the right Spirit, it's important for us to understand the difference between the Old Covenant and the New. Would you agree? That's what he suggests here, that covenant clarity is really important. If we understand the difference between the New Covenant and the Old, as we take that difference in, as we understand it, it will change the way we look at Jesus. We'll see him more clearly. Jesus is not giving us the opportunity to do a lot of good things to make God like us. The new covenant is God saying, I will put my law in your mind and write it on your heart. I will do that. I will cause you to know me. No, no longer will a man need to teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me for the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And this is not things... These are things that God's saying, I will. I will put my law on your mind. I will write it on your heart. I will cause you to know me. I will be helios to your unrighteousnesses and remember your sins no more. As we are understanding this and looking at the difference between the new and the old covenant, which was if you obey the commandments, you will be blessed. If you disobey the commandments, you will be cursed. Apparently, Old Covenant thinking is not spirit thinking. If you're hearing a lot of Old Covenant, then we end up getting the wrong idea about Jesus. Jesus is associated with the right gospel and the right spirit. The cause of transformation then, and we're going to apply this. Cause of transformation 
is clear thinking about the gospel, that God revived us when we were dead. God reconciled us when we were bad. Cause of transformation is understanding the Spirit's influence, that we are in God's family, and we are under a new covenant. As we see Jesus clearly, we are transformed. When we see Jesus clearly, the gospel is clear, and the influence of the Spirit is clear. Here's the challenging part. If we're going to be transformed, again, I think all of us are interested in being transformed. I don't want to just believe the right things. How do I experience change? How can I change my life? How can I be a better person? How can I be more loving, peaceful, gentle? How can I evidence more of the, the fruit of the Spirit in my life? What do I have to do? What the Bible would indicate is that our change comes as our perception of Jesus is clear and as we gaze at it. Our problem is we have our gaze and glance upside down. We gaze at our behavior. We gaze at things that need to be changed. And we glance at God. We focus on, I've got an anger problem, I've got an attitude problem, I've got a thought problem, and we focus on those things, and we try to make them different in order to make ourselves more acceptable to God? That's not New Covenant thinking, is it? You know what he asks us to do? To get our gaze and glance upside, to, to right side up it. Don't gaze at your behavior. Gaze at who he is and his promises, because here's what's going to happen. For believers in Christ, when Jesus comes a second time, you are going to see him as he is, and you are going to be changed instantaneously. That's the way he created us, that when we see him clearly, when we gaze at him, you're not going to have to try to change. It's going to be everything that you always wanted to happen is going to be whoosh. Now this side of Jesus coming again, can we be completely changed? Completely changed. Is that possible? No, it isn't. Because we see him in a mirror dimly. But, 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 what if our thinking about him gradually becomes clearer over time? What if we think about the gospel, that he reconciled us when we were bad, he revived us when we were good. What if we thought more about the gospel and believed the good news? And when we talked to God, we thanked him. God, thank you that you revived me when I was dead. Thank you that you reconciled me when I was bad. What if we tuned in spirit influence? And we've talked about spirit influence. God's spirit will influence you to believe that you are a son or daughter of God. What if you tuned that in? God, thank you that even though my behavior is not perfect, I am your son. I am your daughter. And what if you focused in a little bit more on, and I am not under a covenant where you say, if I obey, you'll bless me, and if I disobey, you'll curse me, that I can't do anything. 
Because the fact is, I'm under a new covenant, and you say you're going to do these things. What if you believe that? And we'll, you know, you can't really believe it all or nothing, is it? But what if we, little by little, we look at it a little bit more, we made more room in our mind for it? What would happen? What would happen if you thought more about what God did for you than what you have to do for Him? What would happen if we focused away from our behavior? on to believing the things that he's done. What would happen if we did that? And you know the answer this morning? We would be transformed. That's a promise. There are going to be all kinds of focuses that are going to pull us to gaze at ourselves and glance at him. Don't do that. Let's get our gaze and glance right side up. Gaze at God and what he's done. Gaze at God and what he's done and glance at everything else, behavior, circumstances. And if you do that, what we're told biblically, little by little, thought by thought, we will be transformed. That's a cause of transformation. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, it seems too easy. But at another level, it's simple, but not easy. The, the cause of transformation is seeing you clearly and gazing at you. That's what we learn. In the final analysis, when we see you as you are, when you come a second time, our transformation will become complete. And you won't have to break a sweat. You won't have to struggle to change us. We won't have to struggle to change because we'll see you as you are. As we see you accurately and behold you, and when we see you in the second time, I guarantee we're not going to be able to turn our face away because we're going to see somebody who loves us and we're going to feel this is the person I've always wanted to know. And we're not going to be able to draw our face away from you, our gaze away from you. This side of that, there's a lot of things that are said about you, some of which are accurate and some are not. And you would have us learn to look at the things that are accurate, things that are in line with the gospel. Those are the kind of things you call our attention to. You, that's what you tell us. You tell us, I want you to remember now. My father reconciled you when you were bad, and he revived you when you were dead. That's the kind of things you tell us. And, you, and your spirit influences us, and your spirit influences us to believe that we are your children, not your slaves, and that we're under a new covenant. I'd ask that we would, little by little, over time, be able to see these things more clearly, and that we would gaze at them and glance at our behavior so that we could be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen.